There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the latest Ramble Meets. My name's Andy Brassel and my guest today is Maggie Murphy, the general manager of Lewis FC. Lewis FC, the non-league club in England, of course, who are the first in the world to pay their women's team and their men's team equally. Now, I've been really looking forward to meeting Maggie and speaking to her for a very long time. We almost met up during the Women's World Cup. Of course, I did a couple of at the matches out there, um, but we never were quite in the same place at the same time. So I went down to the dripping pan the fantastically named ground of uh, Lewis FC um, for their match between uh, Lewis women and uh, Crystal Palace women um, a little while back now. And um, we sat in uh, one of the beach huts that overlooks the pitch, which is their sort of executive box era, um, area. Absolutely fantastic. And um, yeah, we had a chat about any everything. Um, Maggie's just a really inspirational character. Um, the game would be a lot better if there were more people like her in it. And I hope you enjoy listening to this and getting to know her as much as I enjoyed speaking to her. So we're just at the end of uh, Lewis one Crystal Palace one, um, which was a pretty fantastic experience, I thought. We're in a beach hut overlooking uh, the dripping pan, uh, which is one of the exec boxes. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. This is uh, director's boxes, a uh, bit of a nod to our Sussex roots. Yes. And um, yeah, you can rent out the, the beach huts or, you know, they're, they're reserved for special people. So you're obviously very special to be here now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. LewisFC.com, everyone, <laughs> just in case you're, you're wanting to, to book ahead. Uh, so you've been general manager of Lewis for 
two months now. Uh, yeah, a little correct? bit under. I think it's like seven, seven, eight weeks. It's it started to roll really quickly now. So when I first came in, every I mean, the club has had a lot of change over the summer. We've mm. got brand new players in. I think we've only kept about six players from last year. So uh, oh. that meant that people told me, oh, don't worry, you know, before the season starts, you'll be fine. But those were not football people. Um, <laughs> and as soon as I got here, I realised that we had all kinds of con- you know contracts, transfers, international clearances, mm. all the rest of it. So it was a busy few days. Um, but as soon as the season kicked off, suddenly we're like, okay, right, here we go. It's a football now. We're unbeaten so far. Um, although, you know, a little bit sore today because I think that's two points lost, uh, two points dropped here with that one all result. Well, that, that's the thing. You think of, like, for a general manager, I mean, it's quite a US sports term, isn't it? You think of it as being the, the all-powerful kingmaker and puller of strings in, in NBA teams, for example. Um you think of it I think from the outside as if well when the game starts is over to the coaching staff mm. and your work is done mm. but you were feeling it out there weren't you yeah it's it's funny because I'm, I'm responsible for the stadium um, on match days and uh, general manager what does that mean well it's kind of everything um, all the way down from you know making sure that we have doctors here and the doctors were well used today sadly um, but then sometimes I, t- I tell people this sometimes it's like where have the keys gone to the lawnmower <laughs> so I have to figure that out and then okay right now you're going to go and do some sponsorship and marketing and trying to get the, the sponsors in things like that so it really is whatever you want to make it I think some general managers could just deal with the paperwork um, but I want to push us as, as far as we can and I'm quite ambitious, I guess. So that means taking on a bit more as well. But on the sidelines today, uh, you think that when the, when the whistle goes, yeah, I meant to sit down and just enjoy the match. It's impossible to enjoy the match. <laughs> it's just impossible. So it's really stressful out there. I really feel it, yeah. And it's, it's part of that because you have a sort of football-y background. So like people who are, are listening to this and hearing of you and from you for the, for the first time might not know your football-y background. When you, the thing I loved in the press release that I didn't know about you, um, going back to when your appointment was announced back in July, is that you played here at the Dripping Pan for Shanklin Ladies when you were 13 and scored a hat-trick. Yeah, I did. Um, so, f- funnily enough, yeah, that was... Um, I'm only 35, uh, <laughs> but I played more than 20 years ago here. My first ever game was at the Dripping Pan. Uh, back then, we didn't have that nice stadium over there. It was a long wooden shed. I remember right. it quite clearly. Um, and the funny thing about the hat-trick was that... Oh, I'm sorry to the FA, but I was playing illegally under somebody else's name because you had to be 14 <laughs> to play. So some other person called Sarah, someone or other, she got my goals that day. Um, and then like the, the Millie Vanilli of football. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, so I was playing, for, you know, for the Isle of Wight and I got back home and then the next week, uh, the Isle of Wight County Press put out a little feature. So it was, this was before the days of Shanklin, actually. So it was the Isle of Wight and they put something like Murphy scores three on debut for Ireland. Um, and I was like, oh, we've got to hide that. <laughs> like, no one needs to know that I was on the pitch, but at the same time, I was very, very proud. So, yeah, it's, it's funny. I've played football, I guess, for more than 20 years, obviously. Um, most of the time, legally, um, <laughs> under my own name. Uh, and, yeah, I've also, funnily enough, been able to play all around the world as well. So some of my best football moments were playing in front of 3,000 people in Tanzania, yeah. um, winning a cup with, a, with Arusha Town. Um, you know, and I've, I feel the funny thing about women's football is people often think it doesn't exist because there are these hardships, um, you know, with women that are trying to play and they're not able to. But there is always a football team. There is always a yeah. women's football team. It's just that they 
do it despite or in spite of all the the hardships they face. So, yeah, I played out in the Caribbean for a little bit. I played um, in uh, Rwanda as well, and uh, and then slightly closer to home in, in the Netherlands and in Germany as well. So I've always found a football team somewhere. And so going back to when you were thirteen and uh, and making your debut here. I mean, how much were you aware then? Because you, you couldn't play in any organised teams before then, mm -hmm. were you? Because those mm -hmm. those teams simply weren't yeah. available to you, yeah. which hopefully is something that future generations of girls won't have to put up yeah. with, and that's something you're working towards. But how much were you aware back then, even as a 13-year-old, that you were someone almost trying to fit in and find a place in a, very, a world that was very ordered for men? Yeah, I don't think aged 13 or 14 I would have thought about it in those terms. What I did know was that I couldn't play football as a girl. Mm. Um, and what I, you know, and that's why age 13 I was playing in a team which had 20, 30, you know, sorry, 20 year olds, 30 year olds, and 40 year olds mm. in, in the team. And I was 13, you know, people were literally three times my age on the pitch. Um, so I, I knew that there wasn't like the same access. I've got three brothers. They were all able mm. to play for, for teams down the road. They didn't have to go very far. My parents didn't have to pay very much money. I had, later on, I ended up, well, even when I was playing for the Isle of Wight, I was taking a boat to away games. Mm. That's expensive. Um, and later on, I went and played for gospel, which was slightly higher standards. Um, and again, so that means that training, home games and away games, I was taking a boat. Um, and sometimes people you know those kind of things add up so I had to have parents that thought it was okay for me to do this mm. um, and so I think that it's only uh, frankly I think that it was actually only when I hit about 30 that mm. I started looking back I was you know I say it was kind of in my retirement age and not playing not able to play competitive 11 aside as much as I wanted to um, when I look back and I was like wow why, did, why was that so difficult mm. and it was only then kind of thinking through and that's when you start to notice patterns why was it in every single club it was um we were put on the worst pitches mm. um why was it that i had to pay more money than my brothers to play football mm. um you know why was it that i scored a hat trick and it was literally a column inch um mm. and we we beat lewis that day 7-1 that was much better than any of the other results that were coming in in the six pages of mm. of sports results you know on, on the guy's side um, so I think it's looking back. That's when I have only I've started to put the pieces together again, um, and maybe also because I certainly at the age of thirteen, fourteen, never thought I'd be working in football. Never ever. Never thought I'd be uh, playing. You know, never considered playing professionally, for example, um, because I didn't think that's what you did. Um, and I'll, you just didn't think it was possible. It, it, uh, I didn't think it, I certainly didn't think it was possible for it to be a career move. In fact, mm. I'll, uh, you know, something that sits with me in a funny way now. I remember thinking uh, when I was about sixteen, one of my coaches who was kind of involved a little bit in um, the England setup and the rest of it, she was like, mm. "Oh, you know, we could probably, we can get you a scholarship to go out and play in the US." Um, and my response was, "Oh no, I don't think you understand. I'm I'm good at school." I, right. I, I'm I, I got you know um <laughs> you know good grades at GCSE I'm gonna do my A-levels mm. um I'm, I'm gonna go to university Fo I'm not football's not a thing for someone that gets good grades little mm. now I look back and think gosh I could have been playing in America <laughs> and, <laughs> and getting a scholarship to university but it just wasn't mm. even a a thing really it, it was never a, a viable kind of career place so yeah I definitely would have laughed then if someone said well you'd be managing this club 
So when was the point that you realised that you could, not could, and wanted to work in football then? Um, a few years ago, I got really angry. Uh, so my my career, so I you know went to university and all the rest of it. Uh, for the last ten years, I've spent working in uh, human rights and mm. anti-corruption and and uh, anti-money laundering. Um, so I worked for Amnesty International, for example, and, and later on spent a, a long time with an organisation called Transparency International that works on anti-corruption. And, and a turning point for me genuinely was the FIFA scandal a few years ago. Right. Uh, in fact, for me, it was all these things, all these things that I'm passionate about all rolled into one. So there was the corruption angle, which obviously right. I was working in. There was football, which I loved. And there was this Sepp, Sepp Blatter character who was extremely... Um, uh, just I can't even get the words out because of the way that he disrespected women you well, know. he spoke about women's football in a certain way I mean he, he was the one who suggested hot pants wasn't he yeah short, shorter right? shorts and tighter tops yeah. and then maybe the then maybe attendance was mm. got I mean I come off it so I suddenly had this um this realisation that there was something really wrong in the world of football and things started to fall into place. I suddenly realised that one of the reasons uh, women's football hasn't been invested in at the grassroots for so long, one of the reasons it was banned for 50 years in the UK um, was because there were people at the top, like Seth Blatter, making decisions in extremely shady ways uh, without any transparency. Um, And that was wrong for the future of the game, for the health of the game. Um, And so it was at that moment that I started to shift and, and start to move into a, a little bit more of an activist role mm. um, promoting gender equality in football um, because at that point I was able to put my I guess my career experience of of you know promoting good governance and I was like hang on this is this is where it needs to go this yeah. is the, the world of football needs a bit of a shake up um, and once we've shaken it up then we'll have better outcomes for women and girls playing football around the world and we'll have healthier people and more fair societies. I mean, it's it sounds a little bit crazy, but I think that if we can crack equality in football, we, we, we'll change the world. Um, we're really far away from it, but, you know, everyone plays football. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a niche thing. Um, therefore, it's going to be really, really hard to crack. But if we crack it, we'll change the world. Yeah, and obviously a, a big part of that was equal playing field, which mm. you're a huge part of as as well. Tell us a bit about how you got involved with that. Yeah, so it started off in a in a, a completely haphazard way where I was at a wedding, a wedding that maybe I shouldn't have normally been at, and I just got chatting to the sister of the groom, this kind of thing, and um, we were talking about she had been working in sports, and I was angry <laughs> probably I was just chatting away about you know um sport and she said well hang on a sec you've got to meet my friend Laura Youngson and very quickly um she did an introduction uh, Laura was a person who, who had had this crazy idea was very frustrated with the lack of female role models in the media mm. uh, when it came to sport she said herself you know that there were more uh there were more column inches there were more films and videos of horse, horses mm. not even horse racing but horses than there were of female athletes mm. and so she suddenly wanted to do something about it um, and so I got involved in this uh, kind of crazy challenge of um, climbing to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro setting a full size football pitch playing a full 90 minute 
game at the top. It took us six, seven days to climb to the top. Yeah. So by that time we were absolutely knackered, let alone, and we couldn't really breathe because it, it it's high. Yes, yeah. it's pretty high. Um, but we and we did it, and people would say, you know, well, what was the point of that? And you're like, well, we kind of wanted to do something that nobody could take away from us as being like mm. this second class version of what guys do. Because, because it's that the, the highest is 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 a world record for any footballers, not just women footballers. Yeah, yeah, and funnily enough, um, you know, Guinness. Uh, gave us a certificate or they the first Guinness World Record they awarded us was for the highest women's football match ever right and we kind of had to go back and go oh no um, women are people too yes. <laughs> so actually from Kilimanjaro we got two Guinness World Records one for the highest match ever and one for the highest women's match ever uh, but we don't I, really I think you deserve two records for, <laughs> for, for, for climbing up that high but I mean the thing that I noticed I mean you, you with uh, EPF you broke uh, and, and Laura mm-hmm. uh, broke uh, three Guinness World Records in the end, didn't you? Mm. Because um, you had the the Jordan Quest where you played the low down one and yeah. the Dead Sea, yeah. and then when we originally got talking, it was um, towards the back end of the the, the World Cup yeah. out in France last summer, and you played the, the biggest in terms of the amount of people yeah. game in the week leading up to the final in in, in Lyon. Yeah. So I mean, we'll, we'll come on to those in a minute, but. I mean, I mean, the symbolism of it is quite rich, isn't it? Especially the the, the Kilimanjaro one. Mm-hmm. That and and the the thing that struck me about the the Dead Sea and the, the the Jordan Quest project is it's not just about the world records one thing, and that's a great thing. But it's actually the whole project around it, isn't it? It's the journey to to get there. Mm-hmm. And how did that strike a chord yeah. for you in terms of the journey you have to make and the journey that other female footballers have to make to just to play yeah so with climbing Kilimanjaro we talked about the fact that uh, female players climb many mountains just to play the most popular game in the world so there was symbolism in that Um, what was fascinating climbing Kilimanjaro was obviously you get no signal right so your phones are dead you put them to one side and you just have these incredibly rich conversations and we were you know and they're quite a huge variety of people that that played weren't they yeah absolutely in fact so we had uh, about 30 players in total from more than 20 countries Mm. um and we also had completely grassroots players amongst Mm. us but we also had people that had um been in the like the u.s national team Mm. who got a gold medal at the olympics or something um so we had uh, Rachel Unit, former England player, yeah. you know, more than 100 caps. Um, and then you had me. <laughs> so, you know, so it was a complete mix of, of grassroots players and, and um, you know, players from Nepal to Tanzania to uh, Argentina to the US, Canada. Um, and what we realised as we were climbing, we were having these conversations and it, it didn't really matter whether you were a grassroots player or whether you were an elite player. You'd faced challenges along the lines of opportunity equality and respect yeah so the opportunity in terms of just having access to play and be as good as you could be um and then equality in terms of how you're treated you know whether you get hand-me-down kits or whether you get your own kit whether you're on the 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 really rubbish pitch a mile away or whether you're on the main pitch um and then in terms of respect you know whether you're uh how you're treated in the media And, and how people react to you when you say you're a footballer, whether you're harassed and jeered or whether you're celebrated and, and you know, put on a platform. So were you, for you personally, was that quite epiphanous in terms of what you'd been through when you were younger? Did that start to click? Because, yeah. I mean, this is back in 2017, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, 
it definitely it was it was fascinating to realize that we had all this in common something else which really struck me and lives with me is is how tight the network was right so because we had this shared experience and the shared understanding we became close very quickly uh, we still have that whatsapp group we still chat on it mm. and we help each other out quite a lot and you know it sounds crazy, but one of the coaches in Mexico, her team doing really well, she's taking them to a tournament and she just puts out there, does anyone have any advice in terms of nutrition or something like that? And uh, Dawn Scott, who is the uh, US national women's team fitness coach, goes, yeah, Marisa, um, I'll, I'll send you over some plans. Yeah, I've got this, you know, maybe you should do this. And you're thinking, wow, Dawn, you know, you've got a job on <laughs> you've yeah. got you've got a world cup winning team out there to deal with and you're spending your time sending over your support to this coach in, in mexico yeah. um and it still continues that network just is expanding and expanding um but that that kind of solidarity and commitment is something which has really impressed me i try to explain that to people it wouldn't take me very long if, if you wanted i could probably find a player in korea if you needed one within yes. 24 hours um just because of the way that that the networks support each other. So I, I guess the themes of, of, of some of these stories will resonate with a lot of people who started to watch women's football more during the World Cup. Now, I was out there for a little bit, you were out there for a, a little bit, and you came back for a bit, and then you went back yeah. out there. I mean, how did you perceive the influence of the Women's World Cup and how it was received? Because, I mean, I find when, when I've been out to major international tournaments, basically I go out, when, when I do a World Cup or a Euros, I normally go out with one team in particular Portugal and when they get knocked out I go home so it's quite interesting because you get two very different perspectives yeah. of the World Cup because when you're in it it's totally consuming and you have a, a kind of different level of consciousness and then when you come back home and you see how other people are perceiving it and feeling it and reacting to it the tournament feels totally different mm. now obviously you will have had both sides of that how did you feel the world cup went down in france and how did you feel that people received it back here in the mm. uk so i find this fascinating because i think it's the opposite to what you'd expect i think that in the uk we did a brilliant job in terms mm. of having the games on free to view that's so important that's huge um, yeah. it was just huge so it wasn't people could accidentally switch on the TV, accidentally come across the games and then get hooked. Because, you know, football's football, um, sport is about stories, yeah. you get drawn in, suddenly it's suddenly you realise that you've been sat there for an hour watching a game. Mm. And, you know, I heard a lot of people talking about, you know, how they had suddenly come to follow the, the Lionesses. Um, and I think combined with that, there was some really smart um, work done in terms of promoting individual players and creating stories so that people can mm. identify with the players as opposed to it just being a faceless team of England players. I mean in, in a way that's an opportunity isn't mm. it for women's football and it certainly was during the World Cup that I think a lot of football fans feel like that the, the, certainly stars of the men's game are, are quite remote mm. you know they're, 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 a, they're a long way away from them in you know an environment where they're incredibly rich mm. and you know you, you can't realistically meet them or in some cases relate to them mm. maybe that started to change a, a little bit with with, with, with social media um, but I think that was something that came across quite strongly didn't it during 
stuff around media around like uh, television and radio and uh, newspapers and um, internet sites during the World Cup the fact that what a lot of these girls had, had been through to to mm. get there and, and their stories and, th and that's something that I mean, got a lot of people on the England team side, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and actually, I mean, these players have brilliant stories because they have faced adversity or, you know, they've succeeded against the mm. odds um, and they have not been academised um, yes. and media trained to an inch of their life like, mm. the, like the guys are. So, um, you know, a lot of journalists I've spoken to say that they love following women's football because the, the, the players are happy to chat, have a personality, mm. um, are not worried about you know being pulled up in a way um and, and yes yeah, so you just you know it's really important to get those stories those individuals and the other thing that i thought was important about the world cup and how it was um on free to view here in the uk as well was you could follow the stories of the other teams as well so by the yeah. time that england was starting to play cameroon you already knew a little bit about it yeah. uh you know oh norway right okay well we've seen norway play already so we know what that striker's like yes. um and i think when we did the euros a couple of years ago uh you know channel four took the risk and did a great job in, in showing the england games but none of the other games which means that you you, you weren't going to follow the stories yeah. it's, it's a bit harder to 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 follow uh whereas this was just that this beautiful canvas of, yeah. of football that you could kind of get stuck into and the world is smaller now isn't it because of the internet and you know i look at the way my children and their friends absorb football mm -hmm. and to them it's it's all football whether it's english german mm -hmm. spanish italian women's football it's all football to them and I, I think that that is quite important but you know we can talk about how in, in one way that's as, as something that lends itself more to diversity on the other hand I'm interested to know how your World Cup was in terms of social media because I mean the one thing that actually maybe took me aback a little bit we know how like prickly and just downright horrible some people can be on on, on social media the, the people who didn't enjoy the Women's World Cup football fans who didn't enjoy the Women's World Cup they wanted everyone to <laughs> to, to know about it and, and, and yeah they, 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 they wanted to the lengths that some people went to yeah. we talked about this on uh, one of our other shows Jules and Andy me and Jules Breach like the, the fact that they wanted to like there were people out there who wanted to clip up like you know uh, some someone taking a foul throw for yeah. example yeah. which happens like every minute and a half in the men's game yeah, yeah. but it's like oh this, this, this shows that this stuff shouldn't be forced <laughs> down our throat I mean for someone like you when when the the level of it when the level of traffic is ramped up during a major tournament like that obviously there's so much good stuff to mm. embrace how did you cope yeah. with with that yeah it's it's tricky um i almost try to triage <laughs> so mm. when i see some of the comments the negative comments coming in uh, first of all i split them into into you know whether i'm going to re bother responding I, try, I tend not to bother responding especially if it's just pure and simple trolling yes. uh, there's a beautiful uh, twitter account out there called men who just don't care and it's lots it's just basically pulling up all the people that don't care boring mm. you know don't care don't care that it's, it's just a funny account um so there's obviously the trolls and I think that with the trolls you just have to not respond because yeah, that's what they want. Because they're not buy. Yeah. yeah. And then and then there's the next phase up which are people who have very strong opinions but who are misinformed. And yeah. they are misinformed because they 
are a bit closed to learning about things. So yeah. there'll be the people that will that will say things like, um, uh, "Well, actually, when when they bother to get attendances up, that's when they should be paid better and things like that." Yeah. And it's it's kind of like a it's it's an opinion which is so staunch that they're not open to to reason. I think, and yeah. some of those people. Uh, I don't know whether that's a good example, but the people that have like misinformed views, I think, I'm, I'm like, sh- should I have this conversation or should I not? Or is there someone else going to come in and have this conversation? Is is that person open to change? Yeah. If so, I might say something. If they are finding an argument for the sake of finding an argument because actually they want to sit on the troll side, they, yes. they're not open to it, then it's just not worth it. And the the the, the other thing that I try to tell myself because I can feel you know your shoulders get a bit tense and you read yeah. it and you get a bit sad you know yeah um I try to remind myself that the vocal people are a minority yeah that's difficult because they get such visibility on social media yeah but actually I think in real life the trolls are minor the misinformed people are a little bit larger as a segment but then there's actually a massive group of people in the middle who've who are not against it they're not necessarily for it because they've not known anything about it and that's why the bbc coverage this this summer was really good because they're ready to be persuaded that women's football is great and technical and interesting and fun and the players are interesting they want to follow the story and see the see the players go all the way um and you just have to remember that that segment is actually a lot bigger than the, the the negative people There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As we said, you've... um come to Lewis this summer it's all happened very quickly although you seem on top of it from an outside <laughs> perspective <laughs> at least um, not not to embarrass you but I was talking to the chairman here Stuart Fuller and he was saying what a 
big signing you were for for, for the club. Um, from an outside perspective, it does seem like you and Lewis are, are a match made in heaven because for those who aren't familiar with their story, they're a, they're a, um, a, a non-league club but a, a very ambitious one with ambitious plans for the, the women's team as, as, as well and um, we'll, we'll go into that in a minute. But of course, Lewis, people might be aware listening to this, were the first club in the UK to commit to equally paying men and women. Yeah. I mean, this was the thing that clinched it for you and, uh, and made it a, a no-brainer in terms of you taking the job? Definitely. I mean, I would not have taken this job at any other club. Uh, I'm a Spurs fan, but I wouldn't have taken it there. <laughs> uh, no, I think Lewis is, is fascinating. I mean, it took the decision two years ago to introduce pay parity amongst right. the, the men and the women. Um, and even if you even if you don't think about the, the finances, it's about how they value their female team. So we've just seen this game here today in front of a crowd of more than 700 people. Yes. Um, and the town values this football club they value the, the female team the women's team um, they play on the same pitch they have the access to the same resources um, they even they, get they train five times a week don't they yeah so they're, they're so, yeah compulsory training three times a week and then a couple of two, uh, two non-compulsory training sessions um, yeah we're, we're and that's kind of we're pushing on to the professional level let alone semi-pro so our women's team is semi-pro um, we want to be pro as soon as we can we'll, we'll shift to being pro um, the club is ambitious so it's not just gosh um, you know every so often someone, someone's actually said to me you know oh it's all a bit of a publicity stunt isn't it this equal pay thing and I'm like wow mate mm. equal pay is not a publicity stunt uh, this is revolutionary it's sadly yeah. it's revolutionary the fact that we're still the only club two years on mm. um, so it's it's a combination of the, the pay parity same marketing budgets uh, every, all the revenue that we generate across the men and the women's side it goes into the same pot and then is split out again equally um, but it's also the the com- it, like it's not just a special club in that regard but it's also 100% community owned yes. so we have about 1500 almost 1600 owners which you know from my point of view with my governance and anti-corruption mm-hmm. background I'm quite happy because it reduces our risk of being uh, I don't know receiving flirtation advantage, uh, advances from a rich billionaire that wants to come in is interested for a season or two puts mm. in loads of money and then goes off again mm. so we're kind of reducing that level of risk but also makes you un- invulnerable yeah yeah yeah. I mean it, it means that we're not going to have a million pounds to spend anytime soon but yeah. at the same time it means that we're going to be here for a while yeah um, and then with that, we, because it is community owned, there are a set of principles and values and every decision that we make at the club is informed by those principles and values. So actually we have turned down lucrative shirt sponsors in the past mm. um, from a betting company because we didn't think that aligned with our values. Mm. Uh, so some might say we're shooting ourselves in the foot, you, you know, you could have more money. And we say, well, actually this is about more than football. Um, it's about value for the community yeah. rather than making a lot of money. necessarily yeah I mean this as you'll have seen today you know these 700 people that are here today a lot of them come from the local community a lot of them come from further but they're very involved Um, this means a lot to them and our players are wonderful but the players will come and go but these fans will stay um, and I just um, Lewis as a town is is 
quirky and weird i've just moved here i'm just learning it's yeah. you know it's 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 um rebellious in nature it likes to burn things <laughs> <laughs> um, this is everything i've learned since i've arrived but you know it's it, there is no other town in the uk i don't think that would have done this before Lewis you know I mean Lewis was the first club in the UK to have solar panels um, installed on top of the the south stand and it's the it was the first club in the country to put up a football against homophobia sign yes uh, it's very happy to be the first at things so mm. it's happy to be ahead, ahead of the curve and that's perfect for me coming in and it's already got recognition what you're doing in, from the men's game as well I mean we talked about big signings before um, Fran Alonso, the, the the manager, is a big signing because, of course, he was a, he was an assistant to Mauricio Pochettino and sometime translator when he was at, at Southampton. Then he was with Ronald Koeman at, at Everton, and um, Stuart Fuller, the chairman, who I was, was, was talking to earlier, was just saying when he spoke to Fran for the first time, he was just totally taken aback by his level of passion for the, the the project so this isn't something that's existing in a vacuum you know there is a sense that there are huge parts of football that people talk about football as being you know money but an an antiquated business in terms of model there's a lot of people out there there's a lot of football that's ready for this isn't there yeah i mean fran is phenomenal if i if i can i always try and sneak into the back of team meetings because you know my jaw drops as I as we run through the analytics for the for the game individual stats like running through um the game plan the tactics for the game ahead I find it fascinating the level of detail the number of hours that guy works is just phenomenal Uh, we're very lucky to have him but he's very ambitious as well and I think the club's um the club knew they wanted to bring in someone that was willing to dedicate themselves to the project. Uh, Fran came because he believed in the in the pay parity, he believed in this in the equality vision, um, and it, it's it's just part of this bigger project. Uh, how far can we take this club? I mean, look at us, Lewis FC, like running out against Crystal Palace, and we've got Chelsea in, in the Conti Cup in a few weeks' time. Yeah. Lewis, who you know, I, I find that so special. We're already punching above our weight. Yeah. But just imagine if we were actually able to get promoted into the top tier. I I can't, you know, sometimes I wake up thinking about it. How exciting would that be? You know, just to to show that football can, you know, shake things up a little bit. And this is a huge time anyway for for women's football, isn't it? I mean, in, in the UK, we talked about coming off the back of the World Cup. But as we sit here talking today, earlier we had... Um, Chelsea versus Spurs at Stamford Bridge. You had the Manchester Derby yesterday, which was live on television with it being an international weekend. But, you know, you had 31,000 paying customers in there. If Lewis can get there, it's huge, isn't it? I mean, you're on the tip of something absolutely enormous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I was a sponsor, if I had loads of money, um, women's football is where I'd be investing it in. There's just so much potential. And I think it's just going to boom. Um, it's brilliant that that Manchester derby yesterday fascinating because that those 31,000 people were all paying customers you know we've seen some big attendances um, well today you know at Chelsea Spurs um, but also on the continent uh, but a lot of those tickets free tickets and you know those naysayers on social media but oh they're coming in for free of course it's going to be high and you think "Eh, 31,000 people at the Etihad yesterday it's not Uh, bad and like you said it was was bad for 50 years there's a lot of ground to make up that's something that's frequently 
overlooked, isn't it, by yeah. NATO? Yeah, I mean, the, the, one of the reasons that I just think this whole kind of, well, when when the women have big attendances, then they're worth investing in, or, you know, what rubbish, yeah. what terrible business sense that is. Like You've got to speculate to accumulate, don't you? Oh, right, you know, Facebook would never have got off the ground, or Google would yeah. never have got off the ground if you were like, well, when it's successful, then we'll invest in it. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So, yeah. um, I mean, you saw how rowdy our supporters were today. Yeah. They, they love it. They're, they're, you know, just as enthralled by the game as, I don't know, I find it fascinating when, when the naysayers are out there. But, you know, I, I also don't want to... Um, I, it, we also have to realise that there is a way to go and the, yes. the, you know, the sponsors still do need to come in and the investors do need to come in and frankly we need to shake up some of the governance structures to make sure that there's more women and more people from more diverse backgrounds in there making decisions as well because yeah. well, that, know, that's huge isn't it you know we can think about on the pitch all we like but in the boardroom it's absolutely crucial yeah. isn't it yeah in the boardroom um, and you know there are a few initiatives now about you know trying to make sure that sports organisations here in the UK there's a requirement that they have 30% uh, women on the board yeah. which which is great but um they have to be influential on the board as well. Yes. So when you look at the kind of um, some of the latest FA kind of annual reports and, and you look at who's actually on the different committees, yeah. uh, I looked at the 2016-2017 annual report and there, um, you know, they're increasing the number of women council members, but the only... <laughs> the only two committees that had more than two women on them were the Women's Committee and the Diversity Committee. Right. And then you look at the uh, Remunerations Committee, the Finance Committee, the Nominations Committee, all male. So the people making the meaty decisions about where money goes, yeah. and, uh, they're still lacking a bit of diversity. Um, and what you don't want is to like put women on the Diversity Committee, please. We're we're over that now surely yeah absolutely well when you talk about there being a, a, a way to go well for me it was quite symbolic that um at this time especially the women's world cup was in france i mean I, I couldn't think of a better country for it to be in at this moment because the amount of investment and seeing what that can do mm-hmm. in women's football i think it's you know it's never more evident than in france i mean i, I lived in um leon for a couple of years so i know the women's club there yeah. pretty well and um i think you can see jean-michel olas the president the it's, it's not just about the money, is it? I think that's the important thing. You can look at the investment, but what I think Leon's a tremendous example of, you know, they're the, they're the greatest women's team that, that the women's game has ever seen. Mm. And the way that the club has run, and, you know, I think you can see, we're seeing more about it in English media, aren't we, with the fact that you know, Lucy Bronze is, is going up and up and up there. Mm. And um, she's been joined by Izzy Christensen, uh, Nikita Nikita Paris, players like that. And so I, I think... Like what is exactly what they're doing out there will become more and more clear to the English language speaking mm-hmm. world. And I think they're planning to go back and get a few American players as well because that's one of Olas's pet projects as well. But to me, like people talk about the money that Olas and the main club have, have put in, but it's not just that, it's time, it's facilities, it's respect. Mm-hmm. And if you speak to Lucy Bronze, the way she says how it's, just such a level up from Manchester City or obviously mm. a very very progressive club in English terms that shows you how far it can be taken and mm. you know when, when you're seeing other clubs coming in with money like Paris Saint-Germain with Bayern Munich like Barcelona mm. and they're still finding it hard to catch up to Lyon that shows you how money's important mm. 
but a plan and a philosophy is much more important. Yeah, and I think it comes back down to that value thing as well. Do you value your female players? Yeah. If you do, you'll put them uh, on 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 the main pitch. You know, if you yeah. value them, you'll make sure that their kit is perfect. You'll make sure they've got the best coaches, the best health insurance. You know, yeah. the rest of it. Um, and you know, we've got a couple of players here who have played at Premiership clubs yeah. um, on, on the women's side. Um, and like w- one of our players will talk about how. Uh, she played at Spurs and it was kind of like you're not allowed in the kitchen you know you're not allowed to make a cup of tea in the kitchen when the men are there with Harry Kane's there no you you know you know and they were almost kept separate and she says about how one time they were in the training facilities and you know before any of them they were there in their gear getting ready to train and they were like no photos no photos and this is going back a couple of years but at the same time it was like no we're professionals we're out here to to train like even just that those kind of little signals which show that actually that it's your home as well as theirs yeah exactly so um i think that you know that value is really really important and what olympic leone are doing is saying hey we value our women's team and look at them mm. they've you know all three of the uefa uh players of the year the the three nominations were all from olympic leone mm. uh you know winning the champions league three years out of the last four i think um so it shows what investment can can do but also Jean-Michel Alas, I think, you know, in, ter- in terms of hearts and minds, he's already convinced. Um, it's not just a financial decision, obviously that's worked out, mm. but I think he's convinced that this is, you know, a, a part of the future of football. Um, and, you know, anyone that thinks that women's football is not part of the future, mm. they're just on the wrong side of history. Um, yeah. With, with, that in, with that in mind, I wanted to finish with um, a line from your TED Talk. Um, which people can look up on YouTube. It's well worth it. Um, girls shouldn't have to be thick-skinned just to play the game they love. That's something that really stuck with me. And you know, we've we've talked a lot about how you're ambitious for Lewis, of course, and you want them to progress. You want the women's game to progress. But to me, and I guess to you as well, this isn't just about the pros. I mean, I think about. Um, Iceland for example and there was lots of interest in, in them in the men's game about how they, they progressed and they got to the point where they mm. could beat England in the, in the, in the court finals of, yeah. uh, um, to get to the court finals of Euro 2016 and what I found always really arresting about their philosophy is the idea that when they created these all year facilities for players to train and play and be coached they were very passionate about the fact that people who kids who just wanted to try it out Mm. kids who weren't ever going to be elite players that they should have the same rights to elite coaching how important is that especially in the women's Mm. game yeah I think ultimately I want it to be so normal to see a bunch of girls kicking a ball about Mm. in the park Mm. Um, I want it to be you know unexceptional Mm. I want it to be so boring in the way that it's boring to see boys kicking a ball about in the school playground or in mm. the park. I want it to be so boring to see girls kicking a ball about. Um, and at the moment, you have to be pretty good to be a girl and kick a ball in a public place because if you're not, you're going to get a few jeers thrown at you, a bit of laughter, a bit of kind of mocking. And so, you know, girls, anyone, self-conscious if you get harassed for just kicking a ball about. Mm. So I want it to be totally normal I want it to be boring I want there to be girls who are pretty rubbish to be playing football 
and no one cares because when boys are pretty rubbish, no one cares. Yeah. That's essentially what I want. I just want it to be really normal for, for girls to play football. Um, and as soon as we make it normal, we'll see more girls thinking it's normal to see it as a career, whether it's on the pitch or as a doctor or as a physio or in the boardroom. Um, essentially, we just want it to be normal. Well, look, it's been great. Thanks so much for inviting us along. Um, we wish you and uh, Lewis all the best and thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. This was a Stakhanov production.